To see examples of what we talked about on this episode, along with further information, go to bunchofdorks.com. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Two Dimension Podcast. The comic book podcast with no direction. What's up, everybody? You know that song. You know this voice. That's right. It's the boy wonder Rook. And with me, as always, is the commissioner. He's already lit the bat signal. Everybody say hi to Don Moore. A very excited Don. A very excited Don, because if you haven't caught the clues yet, we are very excited to talk to the one and only, the heiress of Batman. (laughs) Everyone, please welcome Athena Finger. Hi, thank you for having me. I am so thrilled to get to talk to you. Um, uh, We spend an absorbent amount of time on this show talking about creator rights and and, encouraging people to look into who really created things. So your story, your everything about you is just, it sits at the heart of what we do. And I just, you know, this is such an amazing opportunity to get to talk to you. Thank you so much for being here. Well, thank you for having me again. I mean, I'm always willing to come and talk to the fans and talk Batman or Bill or whatever else you want to talk about. (laughs) Um. Just to lighten, lighten this, um, the first time I ever heard of Bill Finger was in 19, I think it's 1974. Um, they reprinted the first issue of Batman back then, which to me, I was 12 at the time. It was a thrill. But the inside cover, the publisher of DC Comics, Carvine Infantino, he wrote a, a whole piece, and he was saying Batman lost one of his fathers today. And then he told the whole story of Bill Finger, um, lovingly. And I, it, it was strange, because I had no idea. You know, anytime you saw Batman, it said Bob Kane. Even the TV show from 1966, it said Batman, Bob Kane. And... I was telling friends of mine over the years that a guy died that did Batman. Said, Bob Kane's still alive. It wasn't Bob Kane. Well, Bob Kane did Batman. I mean, that's what everybody thought. Um, well, unfortunately, that's what Bob Kane and National DC put out there. That yes. was the story that they put out there. Um, a lot of the Golden Age comics usually only had one name listed, yes. uh, which was an industry norm. It was usually the artist. Um, so there were some norms there, but you know Bob Kane could have at any time acknowledged what Bill had done in the creation um, and his contributions, which he did later on in his book, but by that time it was too late. Um, yeah. So, you know, it's, it's a tricky situation because, you know, again, we're talking 1939. 
Um, you know, the industry is still a baby and trying to figure out the ways. And it was already pretty corrupt to start with. Yes. It was never an innocent industry. No. Um, so, you know, there were a lot of factors going on there. And so Bob came, you know, recognized the talent that he had around him and took advantage of that and wanted to be famous and so kind of secured his fame with whatever agreements that he had with you know dc at the time yeah now i think i understand you you knew the story of your grandfather's connection early on in life and you grew up with this and you know people People just kind of dismissed you or questioned you or like uh, aggressively just kind of were like, yeah, right. Tell me the real story. You know, that's got to be extremely difficult growing up that way. Um, you know, how how much did you disconnect with comic books? Uh, did you like growing up? Did you actively try and ignore anything comic booky uh, in your life? Um, I didn't actively try to not read comics. Um, I just wasn't a comic book reader, but I was really into animation and art and, um, you know, that visual side of it other than the printed page. Mm -hmm. Um, a lot of live action. I was more into like the movies. I grew up watching horror. My dad took me to the movies all the time. My mom took me to the movies all the time. You know, I was a product of the eighties with some of the best films that were put out. Um, so, you know, that was really what I gravitated, gravitated towards more than the comics. Um, you know, I was doing a lot of my own art at a young age and trying to come up with my own cartoons and things like that. Knowing the connection that I had to comics, even though Bill wasn't the artist, he was the writer, um, and I don't like words so much, and I never really did. <laughs> um, so I was more about, you know, telling the story through the visual versus the red. Yeah. But that's kind of where I stood with the whole comic thing. But as I got older, you know, I did kind of shy away from talking about Bill or talking about Batman or just getting frustrated. You know, I was one of those weird people that would go into the comic book store and be like, hey, do you know who Bill Finger is? And then they'd be like, no. And I'd be like, well, you shouldn't be working here then because <laughs> that's the creator of Batman. And he's no, Bob King. Like, yeah. Well, Okay, have a good day. <laughs> it's like, you know, you just kind of get frustrated after a while, and then you just kind of put it to the back, and you don't really think about it or talk about it unless you have select people, which I did in my life. I had select people that I would talk to about it. Right. Um, I never heard, again, I we all grew up thinking it was all Bob Kane. Um, it was John Byrne, the cartoonist in 1981. He drew a issue of Batman, and at the sh uh, convention I was at, somebody asked him if he was, um, how he's drawing Batman, uh, something about the cape, if he was taking it from this. And John Byrne explained about uh, Dick Spring and Jerry Robinson, 
And he did talk about Bill Finger at one point. That's the first time, besides that piece I read when I was 12. Right. And, um, but they were never credited. And he even made a joke one, you know, there's a whole circle of people there like, what? And, um, he made a joke about, what does your dad do for a living? Oh, he's Bob Kane. You know, it was kind of a joke. Um, I'd hear Bill Finger's name once in a while. It, but when I say this, um, the people at the comic shop, I was the same way. It was it was a vague re recollection. It was, his name wasn't out there. Um, there's uh, another podcast, Word Balloon, and um, uh, 70s writer um, Marty Pascal. He was talking, and he's saying, um, I guess DC in '74 did a big comic convention in New York, and it was a who's who of comic creators there, and basically he said Bob Kane got up and did a tribute you know to Bill Finger because Bill Finger had passed away and it was just nothing but glowing about how great he was and then Marty Pascal said all the creators in the audience were all bitter just saying you never say any of that stuff when he was alive you son of a bitch you know um, that was the thinking um, the way everybody on this show knows Bill Finger is because of this book, Bill the Boy Wonder, by um, Tyler Nobleman and Ty Templeton. And the funny thing about that was um, I lent this to everybody who did the show. As a matter of fact, I hadn't seen Rook until we were getting ready to record, so I made him read it <laughs> before we recorded <laughs> And, um, it's a great book. I mean, he did a oh, yeah. great job yes. with the story and the, you know, the <clears throat> the whole long <laughs> right up at the end with the family and and all the more of the background of the actual family part, like I said, and um, and then of course Ty is an amazing illustrator. So. Ty, the guy, yes. <laughs> um, but that's um, I've heard. Tyler get on on other podcasts and talk and tell the story and what they were really trying to do was get a Google Doodle of Bill Finger they were working extremely hard to get that mm -hmm. and there was other people I think because of these guys really fronting it they were trying to get Bill Finger credit and of course DC wouldn't and I guess they say they couldn't but um they were talking about a living relative and then it came out, you, you came up. And that's that's as far as I've ever heard. Um, they say we, we found a grand, his granddaughter. Uh, you know, we heard that, you know, you spoke to him, was happy about it. What was that like when they approached you? I mean, what, what was that like the first time? Um... It was a mixed bag. For sure. Because, um, I mean, he wasn't the first person to contact me through social media at the time um, about Bill. And so I wasn't sure if there was actually any substance behind what he was saying, but I was still willing to talk about it. Um, because there were so few people actually talking about it, and I wasn't part of the 
comic culture and going to conventions and reading comics and knowing all about the history of comics, it's not what I gravitated towards. So I didn't know that there were groups of people that actually knew my grandfather, one, that were still alive, and two, that there was actually a lot of people in and out of the industry who knew the truth of what Bill's contributions were. Mm. So I was very naive because, again, I was not part of the world um, and not paying attention. And, um, but eager to tell the story and, and just see where it goes. Because there were a few people that would contact me, but I, like I said, he wasn't the first. Yeah. And then, so what comes with that is also of the family side of it, of the, the, the not fully coming to terms with my father's passing away and, and the horrible stuff that preceded his passing with, um, you know, royalties being stolen and, and various fraudulent things going on with that and just a constant, as I would say in the documentary, it was just basically a dark cloud that would follow me around. It wasn't positive. Mm. I was discouraged from pursuing anything. So it was, it was all these things kind of put together and then trying to see if there's any ray of light <laughs> right. breaking through that could potentially make this a positive outcome one way or another. But, I mean, it, it took a long time for him to even convince me to approach it. Uh, yeah. I didn't necessarily want to approach it because I had been discouraged for my whole life, basically. Um, but... You know, I'm glad he did push me to pursue it and start talking to people. Obviously, we came to a, a wonderful resolution with the process that we went through. But it was, you know, a mixed bag. I was excited. I was scared. I was upset. I was sad because I was starting to think about my father and, and the fight that he went through for this for his dad and how it fell upon me and, like, how, I, you know, I never really truly resolved my own issues with his death and having the responsibility of fighting for the rights for my grandfather placed on me at such right. a young age. I was barely 16. You know, I hadn't even turned 16 yet when my father passed away. So it's it was a lot <laughs> to, to come up, you know, to deal with, with, which I never really fully dealt with. I kind of just put it to the back and carried on with my life. But, you know, right. like, tends to smack you in the face sometimes. Right. <laughs> and then here, come, here comes Mark kind of opening all these old wounds and just, you know, uh, that, that had to be a lot, a lot. And I just, you know, I, I can't say enough great things about you for taking up the fight and seeing, you know, was it was it Mark's encouragement? Was it the overall comic book uh, culture's encouragement? What what was the moment that you feel was like? I'm going for it. I'm just gonna. I'm I'm gonna gonna try. Um. So I was finally brought into the DC family in 2008. I mean, a little before that, but that's when I actually got to go up and meet the. You know, and have the tour of the office when it was still in New York, and Paul Levitz was still the president publisher at the time. 
Um, and I got to meet everybody at the office and, you know, that's where Paul gave me a gift of the very last scripts that Bill ever submitted to DC before he passed away. I was kind of blown away by that. And like, so it was, it was very welcoming when it was still Paul running things. And, uh, I mean, not that they're not now, I'm not saying that they're not, it was just different. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it was still considered, I mean, even though that time Warner was still, the umbrella company for DC, it still had its own kind of small company feel to it. Um, it wasn't until 2012 when Warner Brothers had really taken more control over it and it became DC Entertainment and, and the big shift and then they left New York and all that stuff. So in 2012, when The Dark Knight Rises came out, um, they wanted me to terminate my rights, and I refused, and that kind of forced me to start really actively pursuing getting Bill the credit. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and, you know, I have to commend you for that, because it... It would be so easy to sign that and move on and live a quote-unquote normal life, you know. Um, But Bill needed his credit. I mean, he was was like a dirty little secret in the industry that, like, the fans knew, the creators knew, the, the execs all knew about it, but nobody had enough spine to do something about it you know so it really only fell upon me nobody else could do it because you are the only heir right right yeah so you know that's that that's a lot to deal with that really is pressure it is it and and again i think that's why i kind of avoided it now you know, I'm not saying that I completely just ignored the fact after my father passed away for 15 years, because after he passed away, and after I graduated from high school and started coming into my adulthood, I did reach out to DC and say, hey, what can I do to start un- you know, unraveling this mess? What can I do to take care of the person that you know, stole from my father and then stole from me after he passed away. How can I deal with this stuff with you? I want to get it resolved. And they wanted nothing to do with me at that point. Yeah. It wasn't until Mark actually started talking to the people at DC and then gave me someone to talk to in the legal department. But they were talking 2007 and my dad passed away in 92. Yeah. You know, it's not like they didn't know who I was. They knew I existed. Yeah. Um, so this, I think it's so funny in the documentary where like, oh, we discovered Athena. And it's like, I've always been here and DC has always known about me. It's not that <laughs> yeah. I've been, right. you know, this long lost child that had no idea who I was and what connection I had to the character. Quite the opposite. Um, it's just that I was always discouraged again from pursuing any kind of anything with it. Yeah, yeah, and and, and that that's shameful on DC's part. It really is. Uh, you know, I, I've watched multiple interviews with you, listened to you on several podcasts, and 
going through all of this, um, I feel like you could very easily just eh, just rag on them and talk bad about uh, the everything and just I, I feel like you have the right to be able to attack but yet you are so it, it, your overall demeanor you're smiling you're happy I've noticed you're, you you know you laugh a lot yeah. I mean it's it, you know it, you, I don't think I could have dealt with things or show a public face as as you have. Uh, listen, I wasn't always put together. <laughs> okay. I don't think any of us some, are. But. No, seriously, seriously. During all of this, there were some dark years for me. Yeah. They were, they were not healthy. They were self-destructive behaviors, and some of it was dealing with wounds. Yeah. <laughs> some of it was dealing with a recent divorce a bad breakup with another boyfriend. Like, there were just factors that really played into it. Um, and fortunately, my my job teaching at the college kept me, and my son, obviously. Children always keep you kind of, well, they're supposed yeah. to, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, between my job and my son, they kind of carried me through. And then once I came closer to seeing that there was resolution, there was actual light at the end of the tunnel with the Batman case, I cleaned myself up. I said, I can't be, I can't, if I'm going to be out there doing the PR side of this, because I'm not a lawyer, I'm not, you know, I'm not, I know nothing about the legal side of it, because that's not my, that's not me. (laughs) You know? Um, I can't be a hot mess going in front of people. Yeah. So I, I, you know, I pulled myself up out of the hole and, and embraced my new role in the public eye where I'm extremely thankful to the fans because without the fans, we wouldn't be talking about Batman, you know, almost yes. 85 years later yes. and celebrating the stories and the characters and the, everything that comes with <laughs> the Batman name. Um, so it was just, for me in the beginning, it was learning more about the culture, about the the fan base, the the diversity of the fan base. Again, not reading comics, not being part of the culture, you kind of have to learn this. Um, luckily I had some great people who brought me into the scene, um, you know, my first convention was in St. Louis, Wizard World. Did my first panel. I called my friend. I'm like, do I need to, like, do some studying? Because <laughs> I, do I need to prepare something? <laughs> you know, being an educator, you think that way, right? right, right <laughs> so, right. you know, um, he's like, no, 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 it's just a conversation, you know. Even if you just sit there and don't say anything but your name, it's fine, you know. <laughs> I was like, okay, so that I kind of took the pressure off, and you know, this was kind of a big year. It was the you know 75th anniversary of Batman, and yes. it was my grandfather's hundredth birthday, and it was the 30th anniversary of the um, Batman movie, like all of this stuff, or the 25th anniversary of the Batman movie. So it was like all of this stuff all coming together that one particular year. Um, so 
after that one was San Diego Comic-Con, which was a completely different animal. Yes. So, but again, really being able to see people who either knew the story or heard the name but didn't know the story or had no idea and were eager to hear the story, which was great because I had never had that experience before, except for with you know my close friends. Of course, they're going to listen to their friends tell their story you know what I mean it's a little different so this was a much uh, much needed eye opener for myself again not knowing that people actually did know the story um, and and were crusading for Bill in their own way and things like that so I got to meet some amazingly talented wonderful supportive people along the way to help me kind of navigate through this whole new public persona that I need to embrace because the fans want that connection. And I recognize that right away. They really do. And I, I embrace that. I, I, again, being a college educator, dealing with that demographic, you kind of, you know how to kind of navigate through large groups of people. Hmm. I kind of pick up on what they're looking for, and so they're really looking for that connection. I was really the only one out of the team that was doing that, because the Bob Kane daughter wants nothing to do with the public eye, and, and Mrs. Kane doesn't go out in public, and she, you know she's older at the time. and So, I mean... I, I kind of looked at it as I was the only one out there really telling the true history and trying to correct mm. the history at that point because it had not been corrected. Yeah. And I think that the fans deserve to hear the truth and not what they've been forced for 75 years at that point. <laughs> yes. Absolutely. And, you know, that's, that's one of the things when we talk about the golden age of comics, you know, Yes, it was the creation and the start point for so many things, but there, there's unfortunately so many stories like this where a writer or an artist was a ghost writer, a ghost artist, and nobody knew who they were. So, you know, the industry, those in the industry knew, but the people reading the comic, the kids reading the comics didn't know. And as we all started getting older, we started looking more at the writers, the artists, and things. And you know, uh, Don was actually the first person to uh, to say your grandfather's name to me, Bill Finger. Um, and I was like, "Huh? Who is this?" You know. And I'm one of those weird guys that like I can tell you all about a character's history, but I can't tell you anybody who created them or worked on them or anything. Uh, Don has educated me over the years of doing this show, and. When I learned about it, it was just like, this is something that we should all stand for. And I found that those who collect comics, those who read them, who are into this world, the fan base is very much like that. The fan base very much supports the idea that that the creators get the credit they deserve. And, you know, uh, I can't see why anybody wouldn't embrace you and welcome you uh, in into this world. Uh, it's it's a world you belong in. Uh, I'm, I, I've, like I said, I've embraced it. It's completely different 
I'm actually pretty shy, so to be forced to be into the public figure, you would, you would think I'd be totally fine being a, a, a professor and being in front of students, but it's a completely different... Totally different dynamic. Totally different. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I could talk algebra all day long, but then, and a lot of that became, was because I wasn't educated, and I was still learning, and I was such a noob. And I knew I was such a noob. And I knew that people wanted to ask me questions about, you know, this particular comic and this particular storyline or this, that, and the other thing. And I'm like, I have no freaking idea. I'm so sorry. (laughs) Um, Did did you ever get anybody that got upset by that? Like, how do you not know? You're you're his granddaughter. You must know. Not seriously. Not seriously. <laughs> no, and you know, I was, I was, it, I was relieved when people were like, "Oh, okay, well, this is what it's about," or you should really check it out. It's a really great storyline, or uh, that's okay. Don't worry about it. Um, what 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 kind of stuff are you into? And it will lead into a different conversation. So you know, it just depends on the person, but. I found that the fans are more forgiving than I thought they would be <laughs> because I'm not educated. <laughs> well, you, you know that 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 makes me feel fantastic because th- this this world can have some very foul gatekeepers, yeah. and you know, so for for them to to behave that way. It, it really uh, uh, that puts a huge smile on my face. So I've only encountered a couple trolls over the, the years. I mean, you know, unfortunately, Bob Kane made himself a villain in his own story. Mm-hmm. And so that's where most people are with the Bob Kane story. Yeah. But there are a few out there that are going to be holding on to that lie for whatever reason, even though it's been, you know, proven that it's not accurate. Um, and I say not accurate because Bob King did come up with the initial concept. If he didn't come up with that initial concept, then my grandfather would have had nothing to change and mold into what we have now. Right? So I'd never want to take away from Bob King's role in the whole creative process. Yeah. That's great. That's well, that's well said. Um, one thing while she's talking about for people listening, when Bob Kane came, um, Superman was such a big thing. And a year later, they were trying to get another character. And they were telling all the artists that worked for, at the time, it's called National Comics, they needed another character. And so Bob Kane basically used Superman as a template, and he came up with a blonde-headed man in a, a red union suit with bat wings that were from a Leonardo da Vinci drawing and it just wasn't there and he knew Bill Finger Bill Finger was wanting to be a writer I think they they had actually already been working together at that point Oh, I, I never knew that, could you tell us? yes, um, they actually met at a party they had both graduated from the same high school my grandfather was a couple years older than him okay. and they had a mutual friend and they met at a party uh, my dad was selling uh, my my grandfather, excuse me, was selling shoes at the time, and Bob had already established a small studio out of his bedroom, and his parents 
apartment and was in already had a couple strips that he had been doing um actually already had a relationship with national because of the strips that he had um and asked bill you know what do you want to do you know two guys at a party just shooting the shit basically and bill says you know i really want to be a writer and so bob hired him to be a writer for his early comic strips before he came up with the Batman concept. I I never heard that story before. Wow. Um, But with the Batman, Bill Finger, he was the one that said if he's Batman, he should be a creature of the night. Yes. He should have wear colors that would be hard to see at night, which again, the original Batman was black and gray, which he is now again. He was the one that talked about he should have an emblem on his chest. He should have the the hood with the wing, the bat ears, uh, the scallop mm-hmm. cape, the whole everything that you know and love about Batman was because of Bill Finger. Yes, um, and although he was a writer, he was extremely visual with his writing. Yes, he would leave source material for the artists, um, clip it, notes on how the panel should look with the words that he with the scripts. Um, so he he saw the stories as he wrote them. He just didn't see the words. He he saw the action happening. So he he knew how he was going to flush it out from that point. You know, getting the initial concept is going, and then unfortunately, since he had such a short amount of time to write that first story, he actually stole the story from somebody else. <laughs> Just like they stole most of the artwork from another source, so <laughs> but you know, they they swiped art from each other all the time yes. back in the day. Still do. Um, so it wasn't uncommon. They didn't they didn't yell at each other for doing that. I mean, a lot of the time they were copying their own work just for time purposes right. because they had such a short amount That's of time to get <laughs> drawings and, and stories out. So. Um, and Bill took the story from, I think, a shadow story, and so um, they kind of slapped it together and and came up with the Batman first initial story with, like, over a weekend. Wow. They say that artists love getting scripts from Bill Finger. Uh, Bill Finger was always famous for giant props, giant typewriters, you know, stuff like that. They were jumping across. Um, I do know what he just talked about. When he'd send in scripts, he would always add, like, a scientific fact or some discovery. And he'd always send the newspaper article, you know, clipped out with the, the illustration. He would send references to people, to the artists for that. But that, to them, was a treat to get his. He said the stories were fun. They were well thought out, easy to draw. And... The story always had a twist at one point. This is why I, when I realized which stories he wrote, they were the ones I liked the most. But he always had a... It was a twist based off that scientific fact that nobody mm-hmm. saw coming. Um, well, he put a lot of research into his stories or even just having his gimmick book um, with cool little facts or observations... Um, you know, or clippings like from the newspaper and things like that. 
um, that he would incorporate into stories. And even other writers knew that if they were having some writer's block, that Bill was the man to go to because he had all these great little ideas in his little book. And he would share his book yes. with his colleagues all the time. To that's me, fantastic. Yeah, to me, that's a, that's a measure of a human being because that's all I've ever heard about was he liked to help everybody out. It, it wasn't like what's in it for me, which I think, I think maybe that was sometimes to his detriment, which I think that was a good thing he was doing, but I think he expected everybody to be that way. And Well, he was an artist. He yeah. was a true artist. He was a man of his craft. He was not about being rich and famous. Yes, money and wealth is always nice to have, but he wanted to tell stories that was his passion. That's what drove him. So I think that he was humbled with the opportunity of being a Jewish man in the 40s to be able to write stories, even though they're for the funny pages for those kids. He still got to create this whole world um, and, and play with his toys, basically, in this world um, that he created. For yeah. the most part, I mean, he yeah. wasn't the only one, but he was, you know, he he was the original writer. He came up with a lot of the stuff that we know today. He came up with most of the Rose Gallery that we yes. would love. You know, um, you know, he he's the one that initiated the sidekick to have Robin because you know back in the day, if you're talking to yourself, you're crazy and you're thrown into an institute. <laughs> So he needed someone to talk to. So that's where Robin came into play. I mean, there was a lot of things that Bill did that was so forward thinking for the time that we still appreciate now and that no other character has really been able to compete with. Right. Um, it seems like he's at a level and then everybody else is competing with each other at the bottom. I mean, not to like put him up that high because I know that there's other characters, but it just seems like he's set at a different level than a lot of these other characters that are beloved and known and, ca and very popular. I'm not saying that they're not. It's right. just, it's different. Uh, Batman stands heads over shoulders. And I, I'm going to apologize to people that have been listening to the show a long time. Since you're here, I'm going to tell this story again. I was four years old. This is in 66. And I walked into the living room. Um, I was going outside. My parents were watching TV, and my dad said, Don, Batman is coming on TV. And I looked at him and says, what's Batman? And he said, it's a guy that dresses up like a bat. At that point in my life, the only bat I knew was a baseball bat. <laughs> and, yeah, it, <laughs> it just sounded okay. It's a little four-year-old Don yeah. envisioned. Well... <laughs> At the time, my dad was changing careers, and my mom went and got a job again. So they were taking me to this daycare. And at one point in the day, we'd all just sit in this one room watching TV. And um, they had, you know, they used to show these music shows on the beach, you know, where a bunch of kids or sometimes the artists would come and sing a song on the beach. And they did the Batman theme song. And it was all these kids, I guess, dressed up like Robin. And they were singing that Batman. And, and we're all, it was, you know, a whole thing. It was probably about 40 boys and girls. 
And I'm sitting there and my mouth fell open. And at one point there's a kid, I guess he was dressed up like Robin. We didn't have any context. But he's holding this kind of ray gun thing, looking at the camera over his shoulder, and smoke is coming out of the end of the gun. And he's really intense seeing a Batman. And I'm, I'm just like, oh my god. Well, when it finished, one of the teachers walked by the room, and one of the kids, and he goes, Mrs. Baker, did you see Batman? And then another, Mrs. Doty, did you see Batman? We were all, all 40 of us were that way. When the show came on, we never missed it. And, I mean, it was the greatest thing in the world. Well, I was four. Uh, when I turned six, we moved to Oklahoma City. And it was Halloween, and this is the 60s, it was a different world. But some, of, there was a bunch of kids in the neighborhood. And, you know, there were some kids in our neighborhood and two blocks away. And they're all my age, and I said, can you go trick-or-treating with us? And my father said, yeah, why not? <laughs> been in the town three weeks well you got this gang of kids and we're going door to door and we get to this one apartment and there's this guy comes out with a mechanic shirt he wasn't aware it was Halloween and he goes boys I don't have any hold on just a minute and he went and brought a big ashtray and it was full of bat rings at the time in the 60s you got bat rings out of out of bag big bags of Fritos and we're like, berries, berries, oh my God. So he gave like to a group of seven of us. Each one of us got a bat ring. And we're freaking out. And I remember we're going down the street. This guy's got, he's got, he's got bat ring. We couldn't even hardly talk. And where, where is it, where is it? I, I know the guy ran out of bat rings. He must have ate a lot of Fritos. He was a bachelor. But that was my life growing up with Batman. Um, you know, I... At the end of my, my working life, I got a job in a lumber yard, and I was loading trucks. And this is during COVID, you know, and a lot of contractors come in really foul moods. I don't think I've ever said this story on the show. I told Rook this, but the contractors come, they're, they're irate, and as soon as I'd help them in, I, since I worked outside, I didn't have to wear the mask until I helped somebody. So I put the mask on. I was looking at what they needed so we could start loading it. And these two gentlemen were just irate. They were growling. They were mad. And um, they started putting the mask on. And all they were doing were getting the mask. I hate those things. I, I knew you hate them. What do you think about it? And I just said, are you kidding Batman wears a mask and so do I and these two gentlemen turn into little giddy girls they're looking at me and they're giggling they're almost squealing and they get the mask and they put it on one ear they put it on the other and the whole time they're talking to <laughs> like that and I was sir and you know I looked at what they needed I said well we could move the truck here and load this stuff it's better if you put this stuff at the bottom they bought a bunch of stuff. They were going to be busy for a long time. And giggling the whole time. We loaded everything up the way they wanted it. We, you know, strapped it down. They had a truck and a, a long bed trailer. And they got back in the truck. And they never took the mask off. They got in the truck giggling. Well, thank you, sir. Have a good day, sir. That was the power of what your dad created. I mean, I, I'm 60 years old. I, I was kind of joking, but... 
it was true. <laughs> you know, um, Batman is something that has never left people. It's um, he's my favorite character. He's a lot of people's favorite character, and not that he's the only one I like, but he stayed vibrant. And um, you know, when you're talking about your dad understood he was writing for kids and comic books, um, I was too young to read the stories when he was doing them. But my favorite thing was reading the reprint stories. You know, in the 70s, they'd have a Neil Adams Batman story in the front, but they would publish an old Batman story in the back. And those are the ones that thrilled me. So he wrote comics for kids. I was a kid. Thank you very much. They, they warmed and illuminated my childhood. Yeah, Batman has such a power. And, you know, there's another character I, I want to talk about. It's Green Lantern. The original Green Lantern was also one of his creations. Yes, he was. Oh, uh, I'm a huge Green Lantern fan. Okay. Uh, as you see, Redhead. <laughs> so it's very hard for me to find anything in comic books or anything in pop media that has a redhead other than, you know, the Andy Griffith show. <laughs> yeah, you know, like, uh, if I had one more person make that reference to me as a kid, I think I, w I would have just, like, strangled them. <sighs> so there would be no Guy Gardner without what your grandfather did. And that... That's a huge thing for me. I mean, you know, it's... We wouldn't have the Justice League because he wrote for Justice Society. Yeah. Um, we wouldn't have Wildcat because he also yes. came up with Wildcat, which was also part of Justice Society. Um, some of the world finest, a lot of the world finest books Bill wrote. Um, you know, a lot of those compilation things he, he had, you know, a good hand in finger got a finger in it um, <laughs> <laughs> but um you know he he was definitely you know i like to kind of call him one of the founding fathers of the industry because he kind of was yes. i mean yeah, he absolutely was, was. He was part of that that crew back in the day that was kind of building this whole universe that we have now with all the multi-universes and the Earth 1 and Earth 2 and this, that, and the ever you know, the, I can even keep it all straight. Don't worry, <laughs> none of us can. Yeah. <laughs> um, not, not even the publishers half the time. Yeah. One thing, though. Because so many. And, 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 you know, he, and he didn't just write for DC. I mean, he also wrote for for Timely, which is now Marvel. Um, he did a lot of the compilation, you know, pre-Avenger compilation books and stories. Um, you know, so he really, you know, had a lot to say, apparently. Right. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, he wrote movies. He wrote for the Army. Uh, you know, he, he's he did so, so much work. And, well, you he know. also wrote movies. He wrote for the Batman series, yeah, um, the TV yeah, show, two-part Clock King episode. He wrote for Sunset Strip '66, and like all, he wrote for a lot. He wrote for radio, like you said. He wrote for the Army. I mean, again, he was a struggling artist, so he took the work where he could, and that's where mm -hmm. that a lot of that came from because he didn't have. 
the income that Bob Kane had from the Batman title. Right. So, you know, Batman was written by Bill for 25 years until he asked for health insurance. And then a lot of the old timers that were still at DC at that time were phased out and he was taken off the title because he needed health insurance. So they said, oh, no. So um, that's when he was taken off. And then he that's when he kind of ventured out into doing more things with like TV and radio and the army and, and writing with his friend Charles Sinclair and things like that. So, I mean, it's, it's kind of a sad, tragic story for him because he never really did get the notoriety outside his colleagues right. that yeah. he should have. That's, that's a story. Like said, they loved him. Yeah. They respected him. Yeah. But the person who should have respected him had no respect for anyone. No. Yeah. Well, Bob Kane threw, threw Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster under the bus when they had the lawsuit against Superman. Mm-hmm. Yes. They, uh, yeah, just we've talked about the show. Nice person. He, he just was not a nice person. Yeah, no, he was... Anyway, it's you get those kind of people, but a lot of the stuff that Bill Finger had, had worked on are vibrant to this day. Um, in some shape or form, and it's because of what he had done. Um, I want to go back to, you're a college professor, and you mentioned algebra. Do you teach mathematics? I do. I actually don't teach at the college anymore. I stopped teaching at the college back in 2018. Um, I taught at a small college in South Florida for eight years. Um, I taught developmental algebra to adults. Um, so it was people who didn't do well on the placement test or they didn't do, do well at high school and they fell through the cracks or they're coming oh. from another country right. or they I haven't been in students. school for a very long time and they're adults coming back to school. So I had a full spectrum of students in my classroom. Um, I missed that job a lot, but I relocated, so I had to let it go. Right. Um, uh, I've been a private instructor for almost 20 years, though, doing private tutoring. Okay, I wasn't expecting this because you know we, we try to research as much as we can what's what we're going to talk to on the show, and I saw that you did artwork, and I mentioned it to Rook, he'd seen it, and uh, and I was reading about you're an artist, and uh, mathematics is the furthest thing I was expecting, that's actually really amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, like I mentioned earlier, I'm not a big fan of words. Um, growing up, I, I had a slight hearing issue, and I, phonetically, I had problems hearing things. So I was very, I was struggling a lot with the written language because I couldn't hear words properly. So writing and was something I shied away from because my spelling, which is still really bad but better, <laughs> um, was something that always hurt me in school because. Um, you know, being in the early 80s, we didn't have all the technology with, you know, predicting text and autocorrect and all this wonderful stuff that we have now that I wish we had when I was really young. Um, so I gravitated towards the visual. Um, I had always been drawing and, and doodling and stuff as a child and like I said I was not reading comics because I was creating artwork and coming up with my own little silly characters and things like that so um, you know I just recently got back into doing artwork um, in the last 
six years, five, six years, I've gotten back into doing some stuff. When I was a teenager, I went to art school for a little while. Um, I always was doing some kind of photography or painting or drawing or something along those lines. But um, I've been doing a lot more painting, um, and I do commission work if people want. I do a lot of the classic covers or... um, some original pieces where they want Bill Finger worked into the image in some way and mm-hmm. things like that. So it's a lot of fun. I love it. Now, I, yeah. Rook and I were talking about um, your artwork, and I am I have a feeling he was more successful than I was. I, I've only seen three of your pieces, and it's on your um, your blog. One's oh, a, um, if there's... Okay, so my, my Instagram unfortunately got hacked. Oh, <laughs> oh no! So a lot of my artwork um, you can see on my public page on Facebook. Um, there's some on my private page, too, also. I have to get them up on my new Instagram page. I just haven't gone through it yet because I'm still trying to, like, get over the fact that I lost my, oh, my yeah. Instagram page because they won't give it back to me. <laughs> um, well, could you give us the address of your new Instagram page? Do you know it? It's just my name with real at the end. Okay. Oh, okay. All right. I noticed there were two of them, and I obviously filed the hacked one because I figured the other one was your private one. (laughs) No, unfortunately. I tried to recover it several times, and Instagram won't give it back to me. Uh, Um, I do have a website. It's just athenafinger.com. If you want to, there's some older work up there. I haven't updated the website because nothing came of it so bad but um uh, some of my older stuff is there and i do sell artwork at conventions like i have prints and postcards and things like that that i do sell um and i've done some cover work for some people i've done two variant covers for local artists here in florida um i just got approached about doing another variant cover for another local artist so you know i try to do a little bit of everything wherever i can wherever I can get the work, you know, starving artist. <laughs> uh, but I've done some fun stuff for myself, too. I did a really fun Rocky and Bullwinkle piece, um, and I still need to finish my Adam West painting and, um, you know, some other stuff. But, you know, the, the fans like the, the old Batman artwork and stuff like that, so... Yeah, I think it's because they feel like they can have that connection between you and your grandfather with that stuff. So that, yeah. and I, 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 I was listening to a different show that you were on, and I, you, you were talking about the typewriter piece that you did, oh. and I had, and as you were saying it, I had to pull it up and realize that you had hidden Bill Finger into the <laughs> letters of the typewriter. I did and I, I love that? No idea that I was going to do, do that because typically you just do a traditional type, you know, keyboard. Yeah. But I was like, no, I mean, they they went out of their way and they wanted something specific, Bill Finger signature. So that's obviously why I went with the large typewriter. It's a fun image. Yeah. But I mean, just to give a little extra, you know, <laughs> you have to do a little yeah. extra sometimes. <laughs> uh, and that that one is that 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 was fun because I had seen it and I was like, oh, that's cool. And then I hear you talking about it. I had to go back and look at it. I was like, I didn't even notice this. This is I love I love an artist that can hide things in their in their pieces. And you, you, somebody says something, and you're like, wait, I have to go back and look at it now. <laughs> so. 
And that's actually the only piece that I've done that kind of hidden little thing in there. Oh, really? Oh, I love but it. But it just fit nicely because, I mean, it's a keyboard, so it was kind of easy to slip it in there. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so so how much do you find yourself uh, getting to be able to draw and paint and everything? Uh, um, That's a sigh of not in as much as you want to. <laughs> no, well, I mean, I went back to school for a little while, and I took two very intense classes um, so I wasn't able to get any artwork done during that time. I've actually recently been forcing myself to do some more sketching and drawing and trying to, you know, get back into it. Um, <clears throat> I have some commission pieces that I need to finish. Um, unfortunately, <laughs> my office is set up for production right now, so I can't set up my painting space because my production space is set up. Mm. So I'm trying to get, um, you know, some of my commission work done and get this production stuff done so I can get back to the commission stuff. <laughs> yeah, I, I know that feeling. I, I'm currently sitting at my dining room table slash workspace slash painting space slash drop everything on it because you just came home space. <laughs> yeah, I've been there. I've been there. It's just, you know, it's convenient because all my stuff is set up in one area. I don't want to have to move it all. It's just, and with paint, it's messy. And it's so humid here in Florida that oh yeah, it messes with the paint. So I can't go outside and paint right now because we're like in the peak of, you know, the summer. Yeah. Getting into it. <laughs> I'm, I'm just north of Tampa myself, and oh, okay. it's what uh, I think it was a feel feels like with the humidity of 109 today. Yeah, it was disgusting outside. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I, and I, I know I I, um, I paint miniatures, and I have to to put a base coat on them after I print them, and. I had a commission that I'm sitting there going, okay, give me a good day. Give me a good day. Let me be yeah. able to go out and paint and do the base coating. Base coating. Come on. <laughs> yeah. yeah it, I eventually it's just had to turn here because of the humidity. Yeah. I had to, and I had eventually just turn on a dehumidifier in the garage and paint in there. Yeah. <laughs> I can't use my garage. It's jam packed. I'm surprised you can fit the car in there. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can fit a car. You, you can fit a car in your garage. I can't do that. I have to. And one has to be in the driveway and one has to be in the yeah. garage. Yeah. <laughs> so, so you're out on the, the conventions, uh, you know, going out. Uh, are you back out on the conventions now, uh, going out meeting everybody? I am. Uh, I just did two conventions the last two weekends. And next month we're driving out to San Diego Comic-Con um, which I, I go out to um, to present the Bill Finger Award at the Eisner Awards. Oh, wow. Yes. Um, so I go out there for that. This time I'm actually doing a couple of panels with a couple of friends of mine, which is going to be a lot of fun. Um, on anniversary years, they have me out there as a guest. So uh, I've been out there quite a few times now, again, to help present the Bill Finger Award and, you know, see my con family out there and enjoy San Diego and the craziness of the convention. Um, I, I have another one that's definitely booked at the end of, de in the, not the end of December, in the beginning of December, Krampus Con, which is in uh, Coco. I believe it's in Coco this year. Um, so I've got some stuff 
you know, I probably have some more stuff come up in the meantime. I was just at Megacon. Um, you know, it's getting back into it. I was at Grand Rapids um, not too long ago. So, yeah. If you have a convention near you and you want me out there, start telling them. When you say you present the Bill Finger Award, are you the one giving it to each each recipient? Um, so the Bill Finger Award is given to two people. Okay. Given to one living and one deceased. These are people who worked in the industry who did not get their credit for their contributions to the industry. Um, so typically, we will present the. Um, award to the living if they're able to travel to the award ceremony and we'll present them and yeah. then a representative's family member or or however they want to handle giving the second one to the deceased member um, and so yeah I get to do that with Mark Evanier he's an awesome yeah, um, I love president him. for that and he runs that right now um, so he's you know he's been running that for a while, but Jerry Robinson is the one that started the whole Bellfinger Award back in the mid to late nineties, I believe. I think around ninety seven. Really. Um, and again, it's just you know Jerry knew my grandfather obviously because he was Bob's ghost artist yeah. in the early years, um, and knew that Bill got screwed and wanted to do something some part to have his name honored in the industry so he figured that this would be a good way to do that and, and use his name to honor others who didn't get the recognition I, I agree this is yeah. the most awesome thing I ever heard and I'll be honest with you it seemed like it would mean a lot more that his granddaughter is the presenter um, I'm kind of overwhelmed <laughs> knowing that myself you know um, that that's something. Um, I knew about the award, but I, I didn't know that you were involved in that capacity. Uh, the first year I, I presented it was back in 2014 for the 75th anniversary, and yeah. and uh, that's again that's when I first came into the actual convention scene and the comic world and and participating in these types of um, celebrations. Because that's really what it is. It's a celebration of people in the industry, um, living and deceased, and of course, living right. for the Eisner Awards because that's you know the Oscars for the the comic industry. So, yeah. um, you know, I I feel honored that I'm able to be there and and play a role in recognizing these people that didn't get recognized. That's yeah. I that's a, that's a nice award. Um. And I'm sorry that so many people that I grew up loving and not knowing who they were um, were treated that way. Um, comic books have always been my favorite thing in the world. And when I, I see them, it's just a happy place for me. And I was surprised when you start lifting the rug and see what's underneath it. It's it's an ugly industry. Um, oh, yes. Yeah, it's... um. But not to me. I mean, from what I see, it's just, it's just happiness. But because well, you don't see what's behind the curtain. No, that's it, absolutely it. But 
As I said earlier, they're not supposed to see what's behind the curtain. <laughs> they're supposed to be enjoying the entertainment that's coming out from the curtain. Right. Yeah. Well, you know, like I said, a lot of these, um, a lot of the kids' comics, like Harvey comics and stuff, they never credited the um, the creators. And the guy that basically basically made a uh, Donald Duck comics, the greatest, was Carl Barks. I I started realizing his stories are different than the other ones when I was nine. Um, a couple moved next door, the guy had just gotten out of the army, and I mowed his lawn uh, for a dollar <laughs> a week. <laughs> and um, he, um, one time, he asked me if I wanted some comic books. Yeah. He gave me a stack. And, you know, a lot of them were war comics, and there were Disney comics. And, you know, I was nine, I wasn't really I kind of thought those were for babies. But after I read the stack, I said, well, there's these Disney comics. So I started reading those. And some of the stories, I could just tell they were different. And I, what I referred to them was the guy that draws really good. And um, I think I was 17. Uh, 16. I was 16 years old. I was in a comic store. And I was buying my books, and the owner said, you didn't get the... the Carl Barks books. So who's Carl Barks? And he said, um, he's he's the Disney artist that drew Donald Duck. He created Uncle Scrooge and the Beagle Boys. And as soon as he said, I knew who he's talking about. You mean the guy that draws really good? Yeah, that's him. Um, <laughs> well, but that's that was code. Um, it wasn't until I was in my much later in life, I started finding out who's, and I'm still finding out certain people that I did not know anything about them. Um, you know, now Archie artists, a bunch of these artists, mm -hmm. and they've all been cheated. Um, saying, when I say cheated though, I mean, they earned a living. Um, it probably could have been a lot better. I know they didn't get health insurance, which is a big part of anybody's jobs. But you know, I mean, they still, they still lived and did things they loved, but they touched a lot of lives. They absolutely touched mine, and it wasn't until this book came out that Bill Finger's name really stayed in my head. It was always on the cusp. I was sort of aware of him, so I'm glad that this is happening, and I'm certainly glad that you stepped up, even though that must have been overwhelming. But I'm it glad was, but again, I had some good people around me at the time to kind of show me that it's a positive and it doesn't have to be scary. I'm glad or for that. That's great. That's or great. something to shy away from. So, I mean, you know, again, the fans have been so awesome. You know, I, I mean, I'm, I'm a fairly, I was a fairly private person. <laughs> You know, and I always, I would always tell people, you know, I have two separate worlds. Um, I have my teaching worlds, not so much anymore, but when I was working at the college, I'm like, I have my teaching world, which is my real world. This is my reality. This is my, this is my stone. This is what keeps me grounded and humble is that I get to work with all these people and teach math, something that I love doing and I have a great time with my students. But then I have this very public world where I have to, um, ensure that my grandfather's legacy doesn't get forgotten and that his story is still relevant. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's something that 
um, unfortunately <clears throat> still happens today, not just necessarily in the comic industry, just in our society in general, yes. people are, are always looking at a, an angle. How can I advance off of your idea? How can I steal what, you know, this amazing thing that I know is going to make a tons of money and make me famous? You know, it's, it's unfortunate that it still happens. So by telling stories like Bill's story and Jack Kirby's story and the many other people who fell into this role of being taken advantage of, it's it's kind of an important story, and especially being an artist myself too. Like you don't really think about protecting your creations. No. You, you more can you're you're more about the creation itself and and perfecting it to your likeness, which we will never like our own work. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the nature of being an artist, but you know that's really what artists get concerned with. They don't. They don't really think about the other side of what that could be, and what it could represent, and and the, the future of what it could represent for you, and for your family, and, and just history in general. I mean, it's such a, a sad thing that you know the fans were given the wrong history for seventy six years. That's way too long for yeah. fans to not know the real history. When they know about the Superman boys and they know about Ditko and, and Stan Lee and like all these other important roles in the industry and have their their truth be told. But when it came to Batman, it was nothing but a lie. I mean, yes. that's just so backwards considering he stands for justice and truth. And, yes. you know, like. Well, and now with with you the world is knowing the truth yes. and it's you know i i can't say it enough times I, I i i just you know listening to you talk um watching the documentary you know you, you you've been through so much and to stand there and be able to to see and talk to people finally that recognize and to get Bill Finger's name on the credit, you know, where it belonged for years. Personally, I believe it belongs first, <laughs> but yeah. that's, a, yeah. you know, that's my opinion. Um, hey, his name's there. I was told yeah. my whole life that was never going to happen. Well, yeah. you proved them all wrong, and congratulations. <laughs> well, that seemed like that. You. When, when they were pushing the Bill the Boy Wonder book, and they were trying to get the Google Doodle, even then, it seemed like it was an uphill battle that wouldn't occur. And um, right. I'm happy. Um, a lot of people know who Bill Finger is. His name is out there, and it seems like it's comfortable putting it out there all the time. So, and we need more people to continue to tell the story because there are still a lot of people that don't know the story, that yes. don't watch Hulu documentaries, that don't go to conventions, don't listen to podcasts, uh, don't watch YouTube videos. There's a lot of people that are not engaged in this side of culture whatsoever. Right. But, you know, Bill's story is up there with, like, Tesla and so yes. many yes. others. Yeah, you know, their ideas were stolen and not credited properly and things like that. So, you know, I've had people who are not comic fans who saw the documentary on Hulu, Batman and Bell, 
um, reach out to me on social media and say, hey, listen, you know, I don't like superheroes. I don't watch superhero movies. I don't read comics. I, I'm not part of that world in any way. I just stumbled upon your documentary. Oh, my God, what an amazing human story. <laughs> because, it, again, again, it is. It's, uh, it's the story of Mark finding all this amazing research about this man that was pretty much a recluse and there wasn't very much information out there and his process of finding this information and then finding the family that was never known to the public and then the process of bringing in the family and telling our story and telling you know it's just there were, there's so much human element there and overcoming the you know the corporation which is not often <laughs> to yeah, that's a story that happens right now. on top and in this case we were able to you know get Bill's name in its proper place and and that was the goal yeah you've done it and you you're gonna keep doing it um, <laughs> but I, I I can't stress how excited we were when um yeah we, I, I, I I told my family about this and like my f- my father, now mind you, my dad, it took years for him to finally tell me this. Um, he was looking through one of my books, uh, I think it was a preview, uh, and they had an article about the first appearance of Superman. And he stopped and he's looking at it going, I had this when I was a kid. <laughs> I was like, wait, what? You had what? And he goes, I had this comic when I was a kid. And he keeps reading, he's like, it's worth how much freaking money? Like, that was the first time I think my father looked at me and my collection of comic books and dorkiness as like, this could be something. Mm-hmm. And then I told him about getting to talk to you and his eyes lit up. He's like, what, 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 really? Oh my God, that's really cool. That, oh, wow. You know, it, like, <laughs> you know, it, it, it's amazing. And I got to sit and tell my dad your story uh, and, He's sitting there like, well, that's ridiculous. Yeah, no, that's great that she did, you know. So here's my father who just doesn't, you know, he's just not into comics. He's not, you know, but, you know, I, I think he tolerated me for the most part with my weirdness <laughs> growing up. <laughs> but, you know, like, you know, here's a man that, you know, will, will, at some point end up telling one of his buddies this story as well and that will and it will spread that way too and it's such an important story to tell it really is it is again it's the little man overcoming goliath it's the david goliath story and everybody likes that story it's a great story (laughs) right everybody roots for the little guy the underdog and and you know it just we were fortunate enough that um, everybody was in agreement that Bill's name needed to be there. Mm-hmm. And it was just coming up with the right language so that everybody was happy and all of that stuff. So, I mean, again, timing plays a huge role into a lot of how this got resolved. Um, so, you know, it. I think had it gone any other way other than it did, there would have been a, an uproar. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. That, that's one thing comic book fans are really good about is, like, causing a huge stir when they are dedicated to a concept. Uh, and, and, you know, especially one of, of justice where a creator needs 
to get their rights and their credit. Uh, you know, comic book fans are really good at being super petty about things. Well, and vocal get, too. Yeah. Oh yeah, vocal, vocal about it. Yes, absolutely. Well, I mean, and, and I kind of needed to have the support of the fan base in that in that way because. You know, without the fans, again, we wouldn't have been celebrating the 75th anniversary and the 80th anniversary and every other anniversary. You know, it's... So, having the support from the fans just made it that much more imperative to get it resolved one way or another. Um, And seeing that, you know, the real fans did understand the complexity of the situation but also the simplicity of the situation yeah um so i think they were sensitive to that especially knowing that i was a noob coming into it and it was like <laughs> put me in my cave <laughs> <laughs> so uh, i have uh i got i got two more questions for you uh the first off you have a son how, how is he doing with all this? Is he is he into the comic books and Batman? Is he enjoying this limelight, or is he kind of I mean, hiding? When he was younger, I mean, my son's twenty now. He he lives with his girlfriend. He's a musician. He's you know working at Chipotle. He's you know he's a twenty year old. Yep. Got one uh, more. Back in 2014, though, you know when we were going to conventions and stuff and starting to come into the scene. You know, he was 12. He was prime age for this. Prime. Um, So when we started going to conventions and getting the royalty treatment, I mean, he was all about that. All of that. You know, and I get to tease him that he got to see the movies with, you know, a movie with Donald Trump and Daughtry and Ron Howard and when we were in the movie theater it was a funny story, this was at the Dark Knight Rises Benjamin and I were sitting in the theater at our seats just people watching, right, in three rows in front of us, I go, Benjamin look, it's Donald Trump he goes, Donald who? I laughed so hard because I mean, he's so famous like, he's a famous person and you've been doing The Apprentice and like, I'm like, remember the guy who says you're fired, he's like no. Okay. He's a kid. You wouldn't have any interest in that. <laughs> oh man. Wait, who's Ron Howard again? <laughs> I'm like, how do I put into this context for this ten-year-old that is like very limited? I'm like, okay, you know, The Grinch, right? The movie The Grinch. <laughs> oh, a lot of movies. <laughs> Oh man! So you know, it started with that, and then we started doing the documentary, and then the documentary came out, and he didn't really tell people about it. My son kind of had a similar experience to me as far as people not really believing that his great grandfather was the co-creator when he was in um, elementary school. But then the book came out, so he was able to show people, "Look, I'm not lying. This is yeah. true. This is what my great grandfather did." Um, and then when he got into middle school, he didn't, I mean, he had a group of guys that he hung out with that he kind of mentioned it, but he was more about playing music and, and hmm. doing 
that part of his creative world and I didn't force him to be comics or anything like that and he kind of just his dad's a professional musician so that's where he gravitated mm. towards with the music and things like that um, so not so much you know when the documentary came out he didn't really tell many people and then he got his friends together and they watched it together and, you know but I mean he's not <sighs> He's not like, yeah, let me tell the world. Right, He's right. like, let me go play my guitar and, you know, go sing a song. That's, I've yeah. got this handled. She'll, she'll make sure everybody knows. <laughs> I mean, he's gotten to do some events with me, which has been really nice. Like I said, he went to the Dark Knight Rises premiere with me. Uh, when the Donna Justice came out, he got to do the movie and the after party with me for that one. He was a little older for that one. Um... So, you know, and he's done conventions with me and, and done some traveling. So he's gotten to see some of the the, the positive side Good. of the, the whole thing. And then with the documentary, he got to, you know, be a guest at New York Comic Con and things like that for, you know, totally adorable. <laughs> <laughs> That's but now he's 20 and he's all wrapped up in his young adult life. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yep. Uh, I, I, we both know that feeling. <laughs> uh, my other question would be: um, Now you're not you're not a big comic book reader, but I understand you you watch all the movies. Yeah. What What do you think about the movies and the direction they're going these days with some of them? That's such a loaded question because each each rendition of the character with each different director and writer and vision for the character is so different. Yeah. Um, I know that a lot of people are very passionate about who their Batman is, who their live action Batman is, who, which director is their director and which whatever, okay? Yeah. Um, each one brings something unique. Um, some movies obviously were way better than others. Some needed some reworking. Um, you know, as far as people who have put on the suit, um, you know, Michael Keaton has always been my go-to, but, you know, I think Ben Affleck and Val Kilmer don't get enough credit for mm -hmm. their roles as playing Batman Bruce Wayne. Um, I think they both did an amazing job along with Michael Keegan. I think that Robert Patterson has also done an amazing job. But a lot of that has to do with the story that's attached to the character, too, and the vision that's being portrayed with the storyline or the smash-up of storylines or whatever is going on. Uh, you know, even though... You know, the George Clooney movie is super silly, but again, they were going back to the Adam West roots. Yeah. And the Christopher Nolan was bringing it back to the dark and, you know, dreary look, you know, very gloomy. Yeah. I, I, I wasn't a huge fan of Christian Bale as Batman Bruce Wayne. Um... I mean, the movies were good. The first one I can't get through for whatever reason. Batman Beginnings, I fall asleep every time I put it on. <laughs> I know that's bad to say, but it's the truth. <laughs> it just doesn't keep me interested, even though the cast is amazing. Like, uh, and I, 
yeah, each one brings something different. Um, Dawn of Justice, I, I really did like Ben Affleck as the yeah. character. I think he did a phenomenal job. Unfortunately, his stories attached to the two movies he was in were a hot mess. Yeah. Um, I think had he had the right storyline with the right direction, we would be putting him right up there with Mike Bookie in. And, you know, so I just, it, it's a loaded question, like I said, because each one is so different. And yeah, I didn't mean it to be. <laughs> um, you know, I'm a big, huge Tim Burton fan, so having the first two movies as t- with Tim Burton, I mean, and Catwoman is so freaking hot, and you know, it's <laughs> such a fun movie too. It's it, each one is just so it's so different. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely, and, and uh, that's one of the fun things about it in, in many ways is that they are so different, and you know, as you mentioned, you know. Certain movies brought in that Adam West nostalgic, over-the-top goofiness to the character. Others brought a very dark or attempted a dark foreboding. Um, you know, it, it's just – Batman is just fun in movies, I think. You know, I mean, he's just – he's a great character for to make movies with. And, you know, uh, while I – while I enjoyed Patterson's, um, I'm curious to see how long they can run that. You know, um, you know, uh, Affleck's Batman personally for me uh, was the quintessential capture of Frank Miller's Batman run. Yeah. Um, I mean, he he the the suit, the the attitude that he projected. It, he just I, I think he did the perfect Frank Miller Batman. And I would love to see more of it. <laughs> With the right director and the right storyline. Yes. Uh, well, yeah. I mean, that's... that's and a again, huge... that's the problem. A lot of people like to give him a lot of crap for his, those movies. And, oh, he was the worst Batman ever. No, 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 no. Far from it. The stories were bad. Yeah. The stories were bad. That has nothing to do with him putting on the suit. He has no control over that. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Absolutely. Um. Yes, those are good answers. <laughs> by the way, I put a lot of thought into them. I had to answer them quite a bit. <laughs> well, just to tell you, when we found out you were interested to come on the show, I I sent Rook a note. I I was kind of overwhelmed with it, and when I told Rook, it was like the two of us just won Miss America and they were giving us flowers and putting the crown on. We're <gasps> so um, you didn't let us down. <laughs> yeah. When Jamie mentioned mentioned it, we were just like, uh, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, we would love to talk to her. So I, I can't tell you enough how, how exciting this has been for us. Uh, it, it, it's just been an absolute thrill to have you on. Yes. Anytime that you want to come and, and, and anything you're doing, anything you want to talk about, anytime, you are welcome here. Well, anytime you would like me back just to chit-chat. Please, this has been a lot of fun. You guys are great to chat with. Thank you so much. Thank you. Okay, Uh, anybody listening, we use fake comic book covers for the Facebook page and the Facebook group to announce a new episode. Uh, Just like uh, Athena mentioned before, nobody thinks the artwork is good, but we'll think it's good. People enjoy seeing these. Um, 
I'm always on the verge of running out of them, so feel free to send one. If you're any kind of recording artist, singer, musician, I've said in the past, a mime, if you can figure out how to make an MP3 for it, we usually have a music break when we don't have a guest. Um, and it's kind of dire. We're always running out of stuff, and Rook complains when I have to keep playing the same artist over and over again. <laughs> I do! <laughs> so, okay, Rook, anything else? Everybody, remember... Check out uh, all of our fun things online at bunchofdorks.com. Click on that Cyclops. We've got fun T-shirts and things. Lots and lots of cool things for you out there on the blog as well. Until next time. Read, read more, more comics. You can hear our most recent 20 episodes on iTunes. If you would like to hear our older episodes, you can find them on our blog. Just go to bunchofdorks.com and click, click on, on the Cyclops. True Dimension can be found on iTunes and Stitcher Radio. If you like what you hear, you can subscribe, rate, leave a review, call a friend, or like us on Facebook. Thanks for listening.